The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at the Federal Reserve, and here is your top five at five. Pressure on Jay Powell's calls grow for the Fed to be even more aggressive about inflation. But can they do anything about it without sinking the entire American economy? This is the global bond market also getting rocked. And now the European Central Bank is holding an emergency meeting to talk about it. J.P. Morgan's Joyce Chang is here to weigh in. On Wall Street, futures, they are higher for now as stocks continue to sink deeper into a bear market. Real problems in real estate, mortgage rates at their highest level in 20 years with no sign of slowing down anytime soon. Later, why, I told you so, is not enough for SEC Chief Gary Gensler when talking about the crypto crash. It is all happening on this Wednesday, June 15th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. It is great to be back with you, folks. And listen, we know there are a lot of tough headlines to hear out there. We promise, though, the sun will come up today. That's a promise. And actually, futures, they're also up right now. Not a whole bunch, but there is some green on your screen. Futures higher across the board. Dow futures up just over 100 points. All this coming, though, on another down day for most stocks. The S&P 500 falling deeper into bear markets, losing nearly a half a percent and closing at its lowest level since January 29th, 2021. Overall, your scorecard, the Dow is now off more than 17% from its most recent high. The S&P 500, 22.5%. There's your bear market. And the NASDAQ off more than 33% from its all-time high. So it's been in a bear market for a while and continues to fall. The Dow, not quite there. Bonds really have been the bigger problem, kind of under the hood, rocking everything. And the 10-year Treasury yield briefly hitting its highest level in more than a decade yesterday. It hit 3.48%. Right now, we're seeing the 10-year yield not quite there, 3.42%, all ahead of that Fed meeting. Their decision on rates, by the way, will come at 2 p.m. Eastern time. That's right when power lunch starts. You cannot miss that. Meantime, in energy oil prices, they are fairly steady right now right around 119 and change per barrel. The bigger story this week, though, is natural gas actually falling. That's after Freeport LNG said that its facility that caught fire last week will likely not be back up and running for about 90 days, which means inventories may build, which is why prices have come down here. But it's going to hit natural gas prices because they use that facility to export primarily to Europe. And right now we're seeing the trade in Europe for natural gas prices. It is back above 100 bucks. So natural gas prices higher there, all by the way, as a heat wave gets set to hit much of Europe. That is not the news they need to hear right now. Turning out of the crypto markets, no reprieve just yet. We are seeing Bitcoin hit a fresh 18 month low this morning. Bitcoin, Ether, all the major coins, they continue to drop. 
And we'll have more on that story throughout the morning and day right here on CNBC. Around the world in Asia overnight, we saw Japan down and most of the Chinese markets up. But the bigger developing story happens to be in Europe. The European Central Bank announcing a previously unscheduled meeting to talk about recent market volatility with a strong focus on European government debt and its sell-off. What does that mean? It shows that European central bankers are growing very worried about some recent moves in the bond market, even sovereign, meaning government bonds. That's a big deal. And we're going to have to wait to hear more about headlines from that emergency meeting and what actually was discussed and if anything was decided in their stock markets right now. Maybe that is putting a bid under equities because all the major averages, they are higher right now across the board. But that conversation about the bond market route really a big story. All right. Our top story here, of course, is the Fed's big decision today and the growing likelihood of a 75 basis point or three-fourths of 1% rate hike. All that coming as stocks sell off in a big way. As our friend Keith Lerner at Truist Advisory points out, over the last four days, the S&P 500 has fallen more than 9%. Lerner adds that since the end of the global financial crisis, we have seen drops like that only three other times, three times in 13 years. Wow. And here's another big number and maybe some guidance for you. With that drop, the percentage of stocks above their 50-day moving average, above, is now below 5% for only the ninth time since 1990. Okay, so the bad news, when that's happened, the S&P 500 was higher one month later, only 38% of the time, meaning it generally continued to fall a bit more. But maybe here's a little good news. One year later, the S&P 500 was higher every time with an average gain of 23%. Of course, history does not always repeat itself. Sometimes it rhymes, but maybe there are brighter days out there. Let's talk more about all of this with Patrick Frizzetti, Managing Director at Rose Advisors at Hightower. Patrick, we're trying to find a little glimmer of light in what has been a very cloudy stock market, and that is, when we see these kinds of declines, at least according to Truist, we, we tend to see a year later stocks higher. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it has happened on the rare occasions this has occurred. What are you telling clients right now? Well, what I'm telling them is first, uh, Fed's dominating high, the, all the headlines, but you know, really they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, they have a balancing act to perform. You know, with the debt to GDP above 120%, Yes, they want to feel like or project that they're staying ahead of inflation uh, as much as they can. Maybe they raise 75 bips today. Uh, they likely will. Um, but, you know, when you have GDP, the debt to GDP ratio that high, um, they have a balancing act to perform. So when I talk to clients, you know, we came into this year, uh, you know, being defensive around health care, uh, consumer stocks, uh, owning precious metals. We've owned some energy when it was, you know, really unpopular to do so. And so we stayed positioned with with some cash um, and certainly on the fixed income side being being short in duration. So here we are today. Right. And you want to look at where is the opportunity? And, you know, there are definitely things, um, you know, popping up every single day. As you mentioned, there are a lot of stocks below their 50 day moving average. Um, the Russell 1000, about half is now at pre-COVID levels. Um, so there are definitely some opportunities beginning to pop up in different areas. OK, where are some of those areas, Patrick? Sure, sure. So uh, let's start with, you know, in, 
if I look at, you know, an area that's a little more cyclical, basic materials, uh, you know, a name like Vulcan Materials, that's in aggregates, right? Aggregates is an interesting business because it's very localized. You know, think about it. It's heavy rock. You don't want to ship it, ship it around too far. Um, but it has a variable cost structure. Right. So it makes it ideal for an inflationary environment. And it's weaker, um, certainly this year. Uh, it's gone down with the market. But if you think about they have a variable cost structure, they have pricing power. So it makes it ideal for this environment at a at a reasonable valuation. Yeah, you know, that's interesting, Vulcan Materials, because even if we maybe don't get the Build Back Better program done, either all of it or in parts, hopefully there will be some longer term investment in infrastructure, if you drive on the roads, you know that is that is much needed outside of Vulcan, Patrick. And listen, I know there's a lot of stocks worth owning. Just in other words, don't panic sell, I, I would imagine, is some of your advice right now, correct? Is there anything yes. else worth buying? Not just worth owning, but worth buying. Yeah, well, so outside of that, you know, I think if you if you start to see, um, you know, on these on these you know, short-term corrections down nine percent in a couple of days. I mean, if you don't own any of these sectors, if you don't, if you're not involved in healthcare, if you're not involved in precious metals, if you're not involved in you know some of these more cash-flowing, current cash-flowing consumer stocks, those are the types of things that you should look at. You should be looking at those sectors. You shouldn't. There is a rotation going on in the market. So I don't think you just step in and buy an S&P index fund. You want to be looking at those types of sectors and overweight those sectors um, and underweight the things that, you know, frankly, continue to, to drop like a falling knife. And in cryptocurrency is something I would certainly avoid at the time for the time being. You would. You're not telling people like, I mean, you're, you know, these, these things are getting wiped out here. You're not telling people go in, take a chance on these. No, well, look, Michael Saylor, uh, you know, at MicroStrategy, I think I'd recently Micro seen MicroStrategy, yep. Yeah, you know, I'd recently seen that, you know, they begin to get a, uh, the company reported they begin to get a margin call below 21,000 on Bitcoin. So uh, I think we're at that level now or below, or below it. So we'll see what happens, uh, you know, in the, coming, in the coming few days there. All right, Patrick Frizzetti, some good advice there. And we are watching Vulcan Materials, by the way, live long and prosper. See what I did there, Patrick? Thank you very much. All right. When we come back, a worldwide exchange exclusive straight from Berlin. Aries Management CEO Michael Arati. Plus, with growing calls for a 75 basis point rate hike today, where does RBC stand on all this? Chief Economist Tom Porcelli is here. Later on, getting some perspective during a time of volatility J.P. Morgan Chair of Global Research, Joyce Chang, is here. With a lineup like that, you can't afford to go anywhere, so grab another cup of coffee. We're back on Worldwide Exchange right after this. members save on meeting up with friends save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups that's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier plus members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods plus when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship start a show together with your included paramount plus subscription walmart plus members save on this plus so much more start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com paramount plus a central plan only separate registration required see walmart plus terms and conditions What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. What's happening out there? Pippa Stevens is here with those. Good morning, Pippa. Hey, good morning, Brian. First up, Apple Store employees in Towson, Maryland, will begin voting to unionize today. This coming a few days after a store in Atlanta canceled plans for a vote, alleging without many specifics, Apple meddled in the process. Before that cancellation, Apple announced it was raising pay for retail workers around the world and adjusting its scheduling policy. U.S. retail employees now start at $22 an hour, among the highest in retail. And mortgage rates are on fire, the 30-year jumping sharply this week to more than 6.2%, up from just 5.5% one week ago. Amid the rising rates, mortgage demand continues to plummet, and home sales are down six months running. That's according to the National Association of Realtors. And advisors to the FDA unanimously recommending that the agency authorize Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for children and teens aged 6 to 17. The Committee of Outside Experts is scheduled today to consider the Moderna shot for children under 6 and the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for children under 5, and in both cases as young as 6 months. Some welcome news there for our parents, Brian. Back to you. Yeah, maybe in some nerves, too. There's a lot of debate about this. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, on deck, tracking the crypto crash as some firms now start to move into survival mode. We're back with that right after this. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Here we are seeing some green across the screen this morning. Dow futures up 162. NASDAQ futures up just a touch. Again, not a lot. We're up about two-tenths of 1% of the NASDAQ. Cold comfort, we know. But we are at least not seeing some of the selling, for now anyway, follow through. In the oil market, we are seeing crude down just a touch. 117 and change, but still very high. And the crypto market, which has been absolutely flattened in the last couple of days and weeks, We are seeing losses across the board right now. Maybe a lot of cash raising still going on. Bitcoin is down again. In fact, Ether is down double-digit percentages. So no respite today, at least for right now, in the crypto market. 
Well, your morning RBI is back. And today, let's get random but interesting on something we all have in common. That is electricity, right? We all, we all use it. Most of us probably have to buy it from a power company. We'll get ready to pay more, maybe a lot more. Of course, all winter, we talked about what was happening up in Boston and New England, their power costs surging. Well, now it is happening in the Midwest. Electricity prices there are beginning to soar. Look at this market chart Tuesday for the Mid-Continent Grid Operator, known as MISO. This shows live electricity prices. Now, I know it's a little bit hard to read, but you can see in much of those areas, prices are over $100 per megawatt hour. It's what they call real-time LMP, locational marginal pricing, if you're interested. Now, they change every five minutes. That is a snapshot of a period yesterday afternoon. All right, so you're saying, well, what does all those numbers mean? Well, let's compare that with a longer-term monthly average. This is from their April 2022 report, the latest one we have. And you can see that real-time electricity pricing across the mid-continent averaged about $60 per megawatt hour. And that was actually double the price of the previous year, which was also well above the price from 2020. All right. We know it's a lot of numbers. It's a complicated topic, especially at what? 520 in the morning. So let's put it a different way. Prices for electricity were above 100 bucks per megawatt hour in many areas of Illinois and Indiana. Last June, the average was $33, which means on Tuesday, real-time electricity costs were 200% higher than one year ago. 200%. Now much of that, not all, but much is going to go into your bill if you live in some of those areas. Some cases, power companies are warning of 50% jumps in your bill if this continues. So why is it happening? Well, it's pretty simple. Two reasons. Number one, it's been hot across the Midwest, really hot for days, and power is soaring. And two, the high cost of natural gas, along with the closure prematurely of some coal plants, has created energy shortages in some areas because there has not been sufficient growth in renewables in those areas to counter the loss of the coal power. It's really just Electricity Economics 101. Higher demand, lower supply equals higher prices. So millions of families already dealing with crippling inflation elsewhere are probably going to get another big shock in their bill when it comes next month. And they once again have to hope for good weather of any kind to get any kind of price break. And as we know, hope is not a strategy, but maybe sending some elected officials to energy school to better understand how the markets actually work, that could be a good strategy. Just a thought. Random but interesting. Stay safe out there. We know there's power down in parts of Columbus, Ohio, and a lot of the Midwest, and it's going to be another 100-degree days. Be careful, folks. All right, asset managers from around the world gathering in Berlin for the largest private equity summit in the world. It's called the Super Return, Inter not just a good return, the Super Return International. Attendees not facing any shortages of topics to talk about with all the wild swings in the markets they continue to face, as well, by the way, as a Federal Reserve decision today. Leslie Picker is there live in Berlin and speaking with some of the biggest names in the business and joins us now with her first guest. Leslie, good to see you. Hey, 
Brian. Good to see you. Yeah, fun fact, actually. Berlin, uh, its mascot is actually a bear. Uh, I don't know how many bears are actually walking among the conference today, uh, but we're going to check in with one of the big investors, Aries CEO, Michael Aragetti. Mike, thank you so much oh, for joining for us today here from Berlin. Um, so you have private equity, real assets, private credit. So you span a variety of different asset classes. I want to get your take on the macro situation right now. How are you factoring in things like inflation, rate increases, the Fed decision today into your various modeling with deciding how you want to deploy capital? There's a lot of cross-currents and a lot to think about. Aries invests in over 3,000 companies across the globe in lots of different industries, so the impact is different depending on where we are. I think the good news about Aries specifically and alternative investments generally is we get to play for the long term. And so we have to be mindful of what's going on in the macro, but we don't have to react to the day-to-day headlines. So I would say generally, given the cross-currents of inflation, rate hikes, geopolitical instability, we have a generally cautious tone. We're deploying consistently into the market, but I would say generally taking our time. What are you seeing on the ground, especially within your private equity portfolio? Are you seeing the effects of inflation eat into earnings, perhaps in a way that haven't yet been reflected in public company earnings reports that we've seen this far? The answer is not yet. And I think this is what makes investing in this environment so challenging. We have the benefit of seeing monthly financial statements from all of these companies. And if you look in the rearview mirror, the fundamentals are very strong. And up until this point, most middle market to upper middle market companies have been able to pass through prices. So all of the anxiety and, and worry is really forward-looking as to what's the future margin picture, what's the future earnings picture. And then obviously that has to get factored into the valuation framework given that multiples are coming down. So it's challenging because everything that you see historically would say things are much stronger than the public markets would tell you. Yeah, I think that's really important, the fact that you do have a monthly view into this, whereas the public market investor would have a quarterly market view, or a quarterly view. Um, In terms of things like supply chain challenges, labor challenges, are you seeing that inflection point that makes you think that perhaps in the next month or two or three we could see this take place? It's absolutely real. We've seen the wage inflation. Not every company, but most companies are dealing with wage inflation and some supply chain issues. I think the hope would be maybe with China and broader Asia-Pacific opening, we see some relief on the supply side. Obviously, with Fed moves, we're seeing some demand destruction, and the hope is that those two can balance each other out and we can get some stability here. But absolutely, the inflation is starting to show up. And in terms of a buying opportunity, but private equity is notorious for being value investors. And they've been sitting on a lot of cash, waiting for the right time. But volatility isn't necessarily the best time to be buying. When do you expect to see yeah, that? We've been in business now. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. So we've, we've seen a lot of cycles. I think the playbook has to be you leg into the cycle. Interestingly, most of the good value now is in the public markets. So even though we're largely private market investors, on a relative value basis, we're seeing better investable opportunity in the public equity and public credit markets. I would expect as the year progresses and the markets stabilize and the private markets reprice, that's when we'll see a more aggressive 
pivot to the private distressed opportunity. So my sense is back half of the year should get very interesting. For interesting. Um, I have to ask you about private credit. You guys sure. are huge yeah. players there, $200 billion in yeah. private credit, AUM. Um, what are you seeing on that side of things? It's been seen as kind of this um, haven, so yeah. to speak, amid the broader market volatility because you do offer uh, mostly floating rate. Yeah. Um, is that market holding up as well as I think people expected? Absolutely. The same comment I made about the private equity portfolios, same for private credit. And unlike past cycles, we're going into this bout of volatility with an incredible amount of stability within the existing credit exposures. So the market's seen a, a significant amount of growth for the right reasons, as you mentioned, floating rate interest, high seniority, short duration. So it's an asset class that is almost purpose-built for this type of an environment, slower growth rising rates. So I would expect to continue to see people shifting out of traditional fixed income investments into floating rate private credit. And you see the demand also from the market. Yeah, it has not stopped. We'll keep going. Excellent. Well, that means we will have to have you back on again uh, to get your updated take. Mike Arigetti, CEO of Aries. Thank you so much. Uh, Brian, I'll send it back to you. Leslie, no, we pre- it's great to see people back at conferences. Great to always see you in the hours. You must admit, Leslie, much more humane over there for Worldwide Exchange. Yes or no? <laughs> no jet lag because I'm, you know, already used to being up for your show, Brian. So it's, you know, no sweat. That's it. We always say I work European time. Leslie Picker, you do too. Great you stuff. Too. We'll see you all day, Leslie. Thank you. Guten Morgen. All right ahead. Can the Federal Reserve thread the needle and squash inflation without crushing the American economy? RBC's Tom Porcelli is here on just that. Plus, J.P. Morgan Chair of Global Research Joyce Chang also here. Her take on volatility, central banks, and maybe some of their best investment ideas right now. And by the way, just a gentle nudge. If you haven't already, follow our podcast. I know a lot of you getting back on the roads, commuting to the office can't always watch, but you can always listen anytime you want. We appreciate you doing it. Dow Futures, they're higher. We're back right after this. Fire up the coffee machine for a busy central bank Wednesday. The Federal Reserve looking to get serious about inflation with a more aggressive rate hike strategy. All this is its European counterpart holds an emergency meeting of its own. Ahead of the Fed decision, futures looking at gains. Markets trying to break a five-day losing streak. J.P. Morgan's Joyce Chang laying out. It's now fast and furious. She thinks the Fed may act. And the collapse in crypto, giving the SEC more time to regulate the industry. But what exactly would they do? It is Wednesday, June 15th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. It is exactly 5.30 here in the morning on The Nose. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your markets and the money look right. The markets and your money. He said it's been a while. Summing up at this hour, you'll forgive me. Dow futures, they are higher across the board for NASDAQ and S&P as well. Dow up 101, NASDAQ up 85. I mean, listen, the reality is you don't expect the stock market to move that much ahead of the Fed. We had our big move Monday. That was kind of the flush for some changing Fed expectations Yesterday, we saw markets come down a bit as well. Hard to see any scenario where we see big moves in equities ahead of the Fed. But hey, it is Wall Street. You never know. Like I said, the markets did fall yesterday. And with those losses, we are seeing 
stocks fall deeper into bear markets. We'll get to more on that in a minute. But right now, a developing story. The European Central Bank announcing a surprise meeting this morning. It's all happened to do with the bond market. Particularly, we're seeing some bonds get sold off. And apparently, some central bankers in Europe are getting a little bit nervous about it. Juliana Tottlebaum is in our London newsroom. Juliana, we can call it a surprise meeting. Is it in some ways kind of an emergency meeting? I mean, what do we know about this? Well, Brian, the European Central Bank has not used the term emergency meeting, but of course, an ad hoc meeting wouldn't be called if there wasn't some kind of urgency to the matter. You talked about the rise in bond yields and that being a concern for the European Central Bank. Many ECB watchers think that this is going to be central to today's meeting. So the European Central Bank announced this morning this uh, ad hoc gathering of the rate setting committee to discuss what they are calling current market conditions. We are seeing a positive reaction in uh, European equities this morning. In particular, we're seeing strength in the Italian market, and that is because we're seeing Italian banks perform very well this morning and outsized demand for the Italian lenders. Unicredit up more than 4.5%, Intesa San Paolo up more than 5%. We're also seeing a strong reaction in fixed income markets. Italy, once again, front and center. The focus for today's ECB meeting, according to experts who watch this space, are going to be a potential tool to counter disorderly action in uh, bond markets in some of the weaker Eurozone economies, what they call fragmentation. So when the ECB raises interest rates, it may have an outsized impact on economies in the periphery like Italy, like Spain and others. So here we are. The Italian 10-year BTP is trading with a yield of 4.04%. We have seen peripheral spreads tighten today after they widened pretty significantly yesterday. The spread in particular between the Italian 10-year and the German 10-year. So the German Bund currently trading around 1.73%. This is what you want to watch around this meeting, Brian. This is a big deal, and they can, they can sort of placate the language all they want, Juliana. The reality is that you mentioned Italy. Ten-year bond yields in Italy are at 4-point-whatever-1%. They were at 0.5% a year ago. In other words, Italian bond yields, government debt, have jumped 625% in a year. Let's call this what this is. This is an emergency meeting because countries are nervous. Juliana Tadelbaum, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, let's bring it back home here. The markets certainly have been in a precarious spot as well since Friday's hot CPI numbers, stocks, bonds, credit currencies, all showing a lot of tension ahead of the Fed decision today. And that's a nice word, tension. Right now, traders pricing in a 98% chance of a 75 basis point hike. That's three-fourths of 1%. That's according to the CME's Fed Watch tool and a 96% chance of a similar move in July. They see a 66% chance the Fed returns to a half a percent increase at their September meeting. If we got all that, that would take the Fed funds target rate to between 275 and 3% from the current level of 0.75 and 1%. A lot of numbers. What does it mean? Let's bring in Tom Porcelli, Chief U.S. Economist at RBC Capital Markets. Tom, and I, I'm willing to bet that most of our viewers don't care what the Fed does, okay. only in as much as what it affects their life, mortgage rates, credit card rates, auto loans. So I'm just wondering if the Fed is going to 275 or 3%, how much of that is already priced into our bond market and the interest rates that our viewers pay for stuff? Yeah. Hey, hey, Brian. So uh, I, think, I think quite a bit of that is actually priced in. I mean, the market is now looking for basically funds to get to 4%. So yeah, I think that the you know the 
the, the, the Fed um, hinting to, you know, the journal seemingly um, a couple of days ago, I, I think has he's sort of done the trick. I mean, you know, sort of terminal funds as defined by the market have, have now lifted uh, as a result. So, yeah, I think it is. I think most of it is priced in at this point. Well, I get so that would seem to be Tom a little bit of a little bit of good news, correct? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, good news, I guess, in that the market is priced for it. But I think what we have to be mindful of is that you know, four percent is pretty well into restrictive territory. So, um, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know good news is there. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are very cognizant that um, you know this is probably going to become somewhat recessionary now at this point, um, uh, by an year or so. You know, but what's interesting, about um, speaking with some of our uh, equity investors, um, and, and I think, you know, for the most part, they, they just want the clearing event, right? Like, they just want to get to the point where, you know, so they know exactly what's going to happen or exactly, you know, it's, it's some rough estimate of what's going to happen. So I, I think that people are sort of okay with, with, with this approach, you know, sort of at least two seventy-fives, maybe a maybe even a third 75 in, in September. Um, I, I think just in the context of trying to get clarity. Yeah. But but again, make no mistake. Most people that we speak to and we agree, um, you know, recession is, is is probably upon us. Do you think it's here now? We just don't know. We, you never know until you look back and say, oh, things slowed down. We had negative GDP prints as well, Tom. We got one. Do you think that despite what we're seeing with our eyes, which is full restaurants, full hotels, full planes, yeah. that the slowdown at least in terms of bookings and future things like that, may already be upon us? You know, I, I don't doubt for a second that, that some people will feel that way. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we've seen some, some job losses, right, by sector, not in the aggregate, but by sector. So, so yeah, I don't doubt that, that it probably feels that way for, for some people, unfortunately. In the aggregate, though, no. I mean, I don't think that a recession is here right now. Um, I think it'll start to feel that way um, sort of more um, broadly, Later this year, I mean, I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if we actually see outright job losses later this year. Um, and, and I think that that, again, to, I, I think for me, I think that's probably that's probably the clearing event, because once you get to that point, once you get to the point of of, you know, sort of real squishiness from a, uh, an economic backdrop perspective, you know, that's the point at which people are going to start to realize, you know, yeah, the Fed just did a lot of hikes, but the Fed is probably going to wind up cutting sooner than later, too. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of an acknowledgement of, of recession and the recovery to come. We're already talking about future rate cuts, Tom. Future cuts next year. Yeah. I, I think I think you have to. I mean, I think just the, given the aggressiveness of the Fed um, uh, and, and the fact that a, a recession might be here. Yeah, that usually is what follows. Wow. And I, I guess, you know, again, if you believe low rates, lower rates mean higher equities, maybe that's good news for longer term equity holders. If the Fed start, I can't believe we're already talking about cuts, but there you go. Tom Porcelli on the tape, bringing it. We got the Fed at two o'clock today, Tom. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Brad. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the growing ripple impact of crypto's big time sell off for more regulation calls to firms lawyering up latest on the dramatic action ahead. But first, as we head to break, some of your top corporate headlines happening right now. Shares of Zendesk popping following reports and talks with investor Jana Partners. The Wall Street Journal says the pair are discussing, quote, a truce 
following Janus' calls for changes. The journal says that could include Zendex CEO stepping down or changes to the board. Atlanta's mayor reportedly calling for restrictions on property investors buying up homes in his cities. Speaking to Bloomberg, Andre Dickens says the potential move stems from surging home prices in the city as major companies continue to move their operations there. And Warren Buffett giving $4 billion to charity as part of his pledge to give away nearly all of his net worth before he dies. A donation made up of more than 14 million Class B Berkshire Hathaway shares going to five charities, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Good on him. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. All right, welcome back. Kind of a topsy-turvy week, mostly turvy, less topsy. Anyway, here's some of the Dow gainers on the week. And when I say some, I should say one. There's been exactly one. McDonald's, the only Dow stock up. The Dow laggards, pretty much everything else. So <laughs> McDonald's up, pretty much everything else has been down. All right, now to the ongoing sell-off in crypto, leading one regulator to call for more action from the federal government around the digital assets. Pippa Stevens here now with more. Pippa, what are they looking to do? Hey, Brian. Well, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler says the crypto crash has highlighted the need for more rules around the assets to better protect investors. Gensler making those comments during a summit yesterday, citing his agency's action against crypto lending platform Black BlockFi as evidence for the need for more regulation. The chairman added the SEC is in talks with roughly six platforms to register with it. The price of Bitcoin is down more than 30 percent so far this month, while Ether is down more than 40 percent. Meanwhile, Celsius Network has reportedly hired restructuring attorneys as it faces growing financial problems. According to The Wall Street Journal, the crypto lender is looking for possible financing options from investors, but is also looking at other options like restructuring. The apparent move comes after Celsius halted all withdrawals, swaps and transfers between accounts because of extreme volatility in crypto. And MicroStrategy is reportedly denying it has received a margin call against its Bitcoin-backed loan. This according to Reuters. That report follows one from CNBC yesterday that investors have expressed concerns that the software company, which has bet $4 billion on Bitcoin, would be forced to liquidate some of those crypto holdings if faced with a margin call. MicroStrategy did not respond to a CNBC request for a comment on its report. Brian? Yeah, and that stock has gotten pounded along with crypto as well. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, on deck, J.P. Morgan Chase's Joyce Chang is standing by as we gear up for the Fed's big decision. What she sees the central bank doing, whether it's going to be enough to quash inflation without crushing the American economy. And all throughout the month, we are celebrating Pride Month. As we head to break, here's our colleague and friend, field producer Patrick Manning. I joined CNBC about four years ago. I was recruited actually through the Association of LGBTQ Journalists. It's been an amazing adventure since being out in the field from covering the White House for this company. It is just uh, an amazing and very supportive place. For someone looking to get into this industry, I would recommend find yourself a cheerleader. And here at NBC, they really encourage people bonding with one another, supporting one another, and that's how you get to that next step. So I gotta say, it is truly the LGBTQ community that I credit for my success here in this industry. 
All right, welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, everybody. We are seeing a little bit of green on the screen, not a lot. And obviously, given the market's declines the last couple of weeks and months, cold comfort, but still in the green, NASDAQ futures up 90, Dow futures up about 108 points right now. In the bond market, we're seeing bonds kind of hold steady, as you might expect. Ahead of the Federal Reserve meeting, oil is down just a touch. The price of crude oil down a couple of bucks, but still gasoline prices are high and likely to remain higher. Uh, there you go. Natural gas, by the way, has come down the last couple of days. Big outage of Freeport LNG in Texas, building some inventories. They're not going to be able to produce and export maybe over the next, say, 90 days. Something to watch. Well, it is going to be a huge day on Wall Street and your money, really not just here, but around the world. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern, you get the retail sales numbers for May. That number expected to show a slight uptick after nearly 1% jump in April. You get the Empire Manufacturing Survey for June. But those are just the appetizers. Your entree, the big Fed decision, 2 p.m. Eastern time. And, of course, full coverage of that and all the market reaction right here on CNBC. Three-fourths of a percent, or what's known as 75 basis points, is the expected rate hike. Also, we're keeping an eye on the Supreme Court. They continue to roll out their decisions on a number of high-profile cases. Those start around 10 o'clock this morning. Of course, Supreme Court wildly in focus over Roe versus Wade lately. All right, some big news happening in Europe right now. The European Central Bank says it will hold an emergency unscheduled meeting today, primarily to likely talk about the seismic shock hitting parts of the European government debt market. Yields on 10-year Italian bonds are now over 4%. That is a 600% jump from just one year ago. All this coming ahead of our Fed meeting today and likely raising borrowing costs by three quarters of a percent. Joining us now with some perspective, J.P. Morgan Chase, Global Chair of Research, Joyce Chang. Joyce, great to have you back on. Your expectation for the Federal Reserve today? 75 basis points, and it's not over there. We see two 50 basis point hikes coming up in July and September, and then the committee slowing down to a 25 basis point hike per meeting until you get to a terminal funds um, at three and a quarter, three and a half percent by early next year. So taking this in total, we're looking at a total of 300 basis points of hikes by the Fed in 2022. And here they really need to move into a moderately restrictive territory. Um, you know, I do see that you will see more talk about just that trade off between growth and inflation, just given where um, inflation has been printing. Do you think most of that move is, and does your bond team, Joyce, believe that most of that move is already priced into bonds? The reason I ask is kind of the same question I asked Tom Porcelli of RBC earlier, which is if our viewers here like, oh, the Fed's going to raise rates by 2% more, does that mean that mortgage rates are going to go to 8%? But if it's already priced in, the borrowing costs of our viewers for their things may not go up as much. Where do you stand on the bond market? I mean, look, I think there's a lot that is priced in here, but we're neutral on duration right now. And one thing I would just say is that you're going to be in the situation of overshoots in part because just the market liquidity is really poor right now. And we're seeing this across the major markets, but it's not March 2020 for the market liquidity at the apex of the um, pandemic, but it's probably 30 percent below where we were pre-pandemic on the liquidity. But the concerns um, about um, the, the, the um, moving into moderately restrictive territory, we're going to have to see how the labor market reacts. Um, we're going to have to see what those trade-offs are as far as uh, getting inflation to settle. So yeah. I don't think that even though it's priced, these fears are going to go away. 
Yeah, no. And, and by the way, let's talk about Europe, if you can, Joyce. I know that the news is new, an unscheduled meeting of the European Central Bank. The reports are that they want to talk about some of the moves in the bond market in Europe. We talked about Italian government debt. Uh, you got an early take on that meeting. Unscheduled meetings for central banks not really ever looked at positively. Yeah, I mean, look, the ECB hawkishness is catching up with the Fed. I mean, the ECB has taken up its inflation um, projections notably higher for 2023, for 2024, even while they have lowered the growth projections. So I think the speed of this has uh, prompted the emergency meeting. I mean, they are clearly behind the curve since they have not um, moved yet. So I think that it is just like, what is the right pace? We've been looking at 125 basis points of tightening before year end, but are they really going to have to move you know, more than that, given where inflation has been printing? So I think that this is across the board what we're seeing. The markets are running well ahead of a lot of the guidance that has been out there. As we look across the developed market central banks and in emerging markets also, we see more hiking ahead um, from Brazil, 50 basis mm-hmm. points. What, what, what somewhat... I guess disconcerting would be the nice word, Joyce, that all this inflation is happening as China remains not under lockdowns necessarily, but Shanghai, Beijing, some of the ports they've been operating at very low levels. China air traffic. I just saw some data from China Eastern. It was down like 82 percent year over year. What's going to happen with global commodities, the price of oil, the price of food, the price of whatever, if and when China fully reopens and starts running their economy full steam. I mean, it seems hard to comprehend. Well, some of the manufacturing and industrial numbers that just came out for China are looking better. So I think you are probably past um, you know, the darkest part of the slowdown in China. But we continue to see more upside pressure you know, on um, energy prices. And we're still talking about how the ban on oil will be um, you know, implemented in Europe, in addition to the reopening, the peak driving season, you know, as well. I mean, we're looking at gas probably going to six dollars and twenty cents um, at the pump in the U.S. by August. So I think that you know we're going to still see some of these pressures, you know, feeding through to the inflation numbers, you know, as well. And that's not even to mention some of the food security issues that also have really been plaguing many parts of the world. Yeah. And, and, and sadly, likely to get worse as well. I don't even know if electricity inflation is priced into that. But let's go back to what you just said, 620 a gallon nationally. That's yeah. J.P. Morgan's estimate, because if that's the case, that could mean like 750 to eight bucks in parts of California. Well, you know, we've already moved past $5 and the peak driving season, it really is this period that runs up until Labor Day. And so a lot of what is uh, you know, you know, reflected in that forecast is, you know, the refining capacity and some of the constraints on, um, on that. It's not so much that, you know, the move in, um, you know, Brent going higher as it is, you know, gas at the pump, given some of the constraints that we're seeing. So I do think that's going to play out, um, you know, that just, um, you know, the vacation season, you know, peaks. That's also a period in August where you also have poor yeah. market liquidity. So, you know, the way the market is set up, I'm not so sure you're going to see the volatility really diminish here, even though a lot is already priced in. We got a couple hundred thousand people in Ohio that are not watching right now, Joyce, because they can't because their power company forced them to turn the power off. They, it was a forced blackout by AEP to try to protect the grid. I bring this up. Because utility costs are going up, electricity is going up. You just mentioned gasoline going up. That's $150 to fill up a 22-gallon gas tank at $650, roughly something like that. How does the consumer survive through that, Joyce? Have wage gains been enough to make up for that? I, I can't see it. 
Well, I think it's the excess savings that have been accumulated during this crisis um, and during the pandemic, um, during all the stimulus. I mean, there is still a buffer right now. One thing that's been surprising has been the resilience that we've seen at the household and the corporate level. But by the end of this year, Brian, we do think that you're going to be back to the long term averages for savings um, you know, that we had before the pandemic. So you've had this buffer yeah. that's been put into place, but you're going to be really, um, you know, and that has supported um you know, the consumer spending and that disconnect between what we've seen in consumer spending and consumer confidence, which are going in the opposite direction. But at what point um, are we so, so concerned about the slowing um, you know, of growth that the excess savings, rather than spending it, you know, households will you know, choose to actually you know, continue yeah. to keep a cushion? Yeah, and, and maybe getting drained. Let's hope not. Joyce Chang, 620 a gallon nationwide average by August. Joyce, we appreciate your time and views. As always, have a great day. Thank you very much. Take care. And folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We're going to be back here. Bye-bye. Thank you. We're going to be back here again tomorrow at the same time. you got a big Fed meeting coming up at 2 o'clock Eastern. A lot to do. Squawk on the gang, picking up your coverage. Next, we'll see you tomorrow. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.